Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. In such an incredible time, recently being able to get back to sitting together on a regular basis. You know, and before the pandemic, there was some sense in which maybe we took things for granted. Oh yeah, we'll just go next time. Or, oh, I can't do this session. I'll do the next slide. Then everything stopped. Mm-hmm. And little by little, please feel free to turn this way. Oh, little by little, here we are sitting together on New Year's Eve. 2022. Mm-hmm. So feeling such gratitude to be here. Gratitude. Whether we've been coming and going from family get-togethers or sitting alone doing a solitary retreat or being chased by wildlife, (laughs) here we are. Such a blessing. And we know that we are here appreciating this practice together in the midst of turbulence, trauma, sickness, injury, and loss. On the altar is a beloved long-time practitioner passed away, Genko Kathy Blackman. And recently, we did a 49-day service for Nikki and his wife, Sandra Strickland. And our Long-time practitioner, beloved Dharma sister, Mokoon Karen Neslik, is now in hospice, Francis' house. She first started practicing because at the time, before we had this beautiful zendo, we had a zendo in the attic of my house in the Westcott neighborhood, and she and Dick at that time had been living in a house on just behind mine. And she kept hearing the Han. And you know, when we play the Han, it is an invitation. 
It's an invitation to pay attention, first of all, to realize, oh, these beats are getting faster. And again, and faster, and again, faster. Like an hourglass. So it's calling us to be here, to be with it. But also, we play it before Zazen. You play it at dawn and dusk, and you play it at important ceremonies like this one. So she heard the Han, and finally she decided to find out what is this. And she came and joined us in the Zendo, and from that point on, became an ardent practitioner. And as she became ill in recent years, the most she could do was to join us for Dharma study. She was really so diligent with that. No matter how she felt, she managed to get here when, before the pandemic, we did that one Sunday evening a month. And we will be going back to that starting in February, Sunday afternoon, Dharma study. And she will be with us. And Psycho Terry Keenan, who started sitting a little before Mokoa, is also in very bad health. <clears throat> Kentoku, Ryujo, so many of the old timers are about to find a new time. When we are chanting Kanzeong tonight, let's hold them in our hearts. And all the others you know, many people I did not mention, who are suffering from one thing or another. And we are aware of all the things that are so difficult about this time. People are very eager to have the pandemic be called over. But we know people are still getting sick from COVID. Many in our Sangha right now. And we know it will be around for a while. So what can we do? Sit, come together this way taking precautions and doing our best to stay healthy and avoid the whole plethora of things that are out there waiting to leap, not just dogs. RSV, the flu, the things without any name, they're going to get us. And eventually, the Han will... <laughs>
Bye-bye. See you next time. So this today I received an email from a friend I got to know over the years who's the head monk at Shogenji. Fujin, some of you remember, is also there. She's in the junior college. But anyway, every year he makes a drawing and sends it. And so here's his drawing for this year, the rabbit year. A monk holding a bunny in his two hands. And he has two characters at the top. And one is harmony and the other is face. Harmony and face, kanji. And so I'll read you what he wrote. First, a little verse. If you think of it as your own, it's light, the snow on your umbrella. You don't think that snow is out there. It's your own, own heart. Then he says, I spent the 23rd of December making New Year's postcards of a monk feet in snow, smiling under his ajirogasa, which is an umbrella hat, and holding a rabbit. The next day, we got our first snow of the year with about 40 centimeters of snow covering the ground. How much is that in feet? That much. So maybe a foot. Doesn't seem like much to us, especially for our friends in Buffalo around that time. But he says, snow makes for good scenery, but not for easy living. We spent the whole day shoveling the road up to the monastery. It's a very long road up the mountain. And spent the night in our unheated temple. Mm. A lot of work, but fun. And at day's end, we felt somewhat like the monks I had drawn. something <clears throat> got stuck. <clears throat> and then he offers this uh, two-line verse. 
I think we can all relate. After snow, one can appreciate the steadfastness of the pine. We have this beautiful pine out here. First line. In difficult times, Strength of character truly appears. We become like a pine because of what we might consider the things that are wrong. <clears throat> Even if I can't speak well, I can't bow well because I fell a couple of times this week. <clears throat> we just do what we have to do, right? We're getting old. <laughs> We're so fortunate. We're actually getting old. Yeah. <clears throat> he says the characters harmony and face combined to describe an expression that provides peace and joy for one another. And these are two aspects of the rabbit year. Those of you, anyone born in the rabbit year? Yes? Wonderful. Quite a few. He says, just like a little kid smiling, it's something we have all done and something we can all do. And it's not just an expression. Bunnies do it all the time, yet they always look the same. So keep the bunnies in your heart and the load on the umbrella light. The years go by fast. And the chances to connect are few. But wherever you are, know that this bunny is smiling right back at you. A great year to you all. It's Unsan, Barant, Sunny. An Armenian practicing in Japan, who was raised in America. <clears throat> so, thinking about all the difficulties of our lives and these challenges that come and go and the difficult times and feeling the strength of the pine <clears throat> I was somehow drawn to look again, read again, look into again 
what we chant every morning service, Bodhisattva's vow. And as you, most of you probably know, Bodhisattva's vow was written by Tore Enji, who was the most extraordinary disciple of Hakuin. Hakuin. Ekaku Zenji. And he lived from 1720 to 1792. And when <clears throat> Hakuin acquired Ryutakuji, he insisted that Tore being the first abbot. And Tore was always trying to get out of honors. Whenever Hakuin would say, oh, I want you to take this over or go and do that series of talks, Tori would disappear. But somehow, reluctantly enough, he became the first abbot of Utakaji. And as you know, the abbots there in our time included Genpo Roshi, Genpo Yamamoto, and Soen Nakagawa Roshi. And of course, Edo Roshi trained there. And some of us have visited her. It was Tore who put together the chronology of Hakuin's life, his biography. <clears throat> and he compiled this discourse on the inexhaustible lamp. How many of you have read this? Yeah, it's really important. It's an important book. <clears throat> well, you know, I keep going back to certain passages. There's one in particular that I wanted to share with you right now. <clears throat> Genuine insight into one's true nature only emerges in the midst of great doubt and great faith. It is not the result of accumulated learning and discrimination. When the time is ripe, it appears of itself. Following this ripening process step by step is the purpose of this book. It is relatively easy to accomplish the important matter of insight into one's true nature. No big deal. Truly. But uncommonly difficult to function freely and clearly according to this understanding in motion and in rest, in good and in adverse circumstances. So Tori says, please make strenuous and vigorous efforts 
toward this end. Otherwise, all the teachings of Buddha and the ancestors become mere empty words rather than the living Dharma. Tread the path of sincere practice with uninterrupted concentration. And once things have become clear, then it is the time to take up and penetrate the sayings of the sutras and the masters. And that's what the rest of this book does. Brings them all into an extraordinarily clear and compelling light. So I want to go a little bit into Bodhisattva's vow with you. And um, you have a sweet book behind you. And Jishin, what page is Bodhisattva's vow? Okay. Okay. Page 14. Page 14. Okay, so on page 14, it opens with a kind of romantic language. When you think about all the issues and problems that beset us, we hear this. When I, a student of Dharma, Look at the real form of the universe. All is the never-failing manifestation of the mysterious truth of Tathagata. Mysterious truth of the Buddha's teachings. So we might feel in some kind of a <laughs> cynical way that this is not what we are experiencing. Huh? You ever feel that way when you chant Bodhisattva's bell? Yeah, maybe some people are feeling that they are looking at the real form of the universe and feeling this is it. This is the never-failing manifestation. Right now, maybe I don't. <laughs> what is the issue here? First of all, when I, a student of Dharma, what does this mean? Certainly not, as Torrey said in that passage I read, that you are studying in books, except for this one, the last sentence, that you are taking classes, that you are using the discriminating intellect to uh, <clears throat> collect facts. Does it mean to be a student of Dharma? Anybody? To practice it. Hmm? To practice it? Practicing it, right? Not reading about it, but practicing it. When I, a student of Dharma, also remember the word he used, insight. Right? A student of Dharma looks, right? Looks. 
When I, a student of Dharma, look at the real form of the universe, this real form When we look with the clear Dharma eye, in other words, the eye that is clarified through our zazen, our meditation, when things fall away, all those veils drop. <coughs> when we see with this Dharma eye, this non-dualistic eye, then every phenomenon is a manifestation. Everything is. He says, all is a never-failing manifestation of the mysterious truth. Many times in our lives, that mysterious truth is not seen. <clears throat> what do we see instead? What do we take as real? Illusions. Based on what? Um, our thoughts. Thoughts that are based on what? This idea of a self, this idea of a separate self, the ego entity. Everything's about me. So I can't see what's in front of me. Because I'm saying, is it good for me? Is it going to hurt me? It's out there. And actually, when you really see with a clear eye, <clears throat> every phenomenon is a manifestation of what? Who you are, who you truly are. When you have that experience, what you feel is such an intimacy, yeah? When you look at something, especially in, in nature, let's put it that way, taking a walk and something catches you and you still think it's out there something happens right that's who you are <laughs> so we have to use a placeholder like the mysterious truth or as it isness when we see clearly the real form of the universe, what are we seeing? Form is exactly emptiness. Emptiness, exactly form, as the Heart Sutra tells us. <clears throat> and it's functioning freely in this vast, unlimited, boundless 
no word. How can we put it in the song of Zazen? To regard the form of no form as form. Whether going or returning, we cannot be any place else. Going and returning is just a matter of how we are living our lives. Being true to what is arising in this very moment. Not seeing it through a lens of all the different self-concerns that we normally bring to everything. So Bodhisattva's vow continues. In any event, in any moment, and in any place, none can be other than the marvelous revelation of its glorious light. This light. You are this light itself. And it's always revealing. So what we do in Zazen, in meditation, is to strip away thought after thought. The illusions, as you said, that cloud our vision. And of course, the illusions arise because of our attachment to things that come and go, temporary forms that have no inherent existence. But we take them to be permanent and somehow we think that's real. Most of you, if you've read the Diamond Sutra, remember this line. The mind should be kept independent of any thoughts that arise in it. If the, if the mind depends on anything, it has no sure haven. And when we feel we have no sure haven, that is really the source of suffering. Constantly grasping after things that we think will make us feel better and end up Distracting us from this great, clear light 
read the next passage for us. Someone starts with this realization made. Our ancestral teachers and virtuous Zen masters extend tender care with a worshiping heart. Even to such beings as beasts and birds. Thank you. Now, I don't think any of us has a problem extending this care to the people we like, to our dogs and cats. Not that dog. <laughs> but what about those humans whose opinions and harangues strike us as ignorant at best, maybe even dangerous. I don't know if any of you have encountered such humans during this holiday season. Oh, everything's so wonderful. But it's really embarrassing how quickly the mind can become dependent on the thoughts that arise in it, right? Leading to instant intolerance at best, arguments, storming out of the room. But thanks to our ongoing practice, we know what to do, right? This realization somebody else would like to read teaches us that our daily food and drink, clothes and protections of life are the warm flesh and blood, the merciful transformation of Buddha. Very good. So everything is always supporting us. The Buddha's transformation body is revealing through our own material body. Do you remember that passage from Wenong? Yeah? Platform Sutra. He says, Our nature is pure like the clear sky above. And our wisdom is like the sun and the moon, always shining. But if externally we become attached to objects, the clouds of delusion cover up our nature and we can't see it. Then, because we meet a good friend who explains the true teaching, our delusions are blown away and everything inside and outside becomes perfectly clear. This is Rinam. When we meet together for Dharma study or when we come here and speak to each other after sitting, this is really meeting a good friend a teacher is just a good friend in this way. 
to be able to feel this nature pure like the clear sky always shining and to help each other drop those clouds of delusion now the next section we don't have time to go into but it's the key section in a way for many people in the bodhisattva's vow when he speaks of who can be ungrateful or not respectful, even to insentient things, not to speak of human beings. And then he says this very well-known passage, who would like to read it, even though they may be fools, be warm and compassionate toward them. If by chance they should turn against us and abuse and persecute us, we should bow down with humble words in the reverent belief that they are the merciful avatars of Buddha, who uses devices to emancipate us from harmful karma that has been produced and accumulated upon ourselves through our own egoistic delusion and attachment throughout the countless cycles of Kalpa. Very good, thank you. Now it's quite a koan, this passage. Now when we are aware of widespread injustice, poverty, suffering, and it's really profound for those of us who have a history of abuse and persecution whether physical or psychological. And we have to recognize that. We have to work with that history. We can't just pretend it's not there. There are many long-lasting effects. And as you may have noticed, anger and hatred can lurk unexamined going underground, producing toxic reactivity in all kinds of harmful ways. It's not just among those guys out there. We ourselves have to examine this carefully. This is the grist for the mill of our practice. Never think, oh, I wish I hadn't had to deal with that. Deal with it. Really deal with it. Look into it. Work with it. And, of course, at times we need skillful therapy in tandem with spiritual practice. So I want you to just also add, bowing down with humble words does not mean becoming a doormat. <laughs> or pretending things are okay when they're not. We learn through our practice how to transform these difficult emotions rather than getting stuck in an endless round of 
self-pity and self-flagellation. So this is really what we're doing. This is what practice is all about. And this is a very important aspect of this process. As we develop compassion and insight, we learn how to love ourselves. They seem as though it's taking a long time. And it does. But it is essential for us to work together to extend the loving kindness of this practice to all beings. So thank you so much for being here and sharing this practice with me and opening to a new year, the year of the rabbit. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.